0: Listening to the Martial Brain, the podcast that explores the intersection between the martial arts, science, critical thinking, skepticism, and that wacky organ that floats inside our skulls in a pool of cerebral spinal fluid, making life unpredictably inspiring, infuriating, and sometimes just batshit crazy. I'm Jeff Westfall for the Martial Brain. The Forgotten War The Philippines The USA War Colonialism And the Martial Arts Part 15 Hi everyone. You're probably wondering where I've been for the last four months. Well, as is true for most of us, the COVID pandemic has tried hard to ruin my martial arts business. So I've been devoting a lot more time to it of late and unfortunately, in addition, there have been serious health problems in my family to deal with. But things are looking a lot better, and I'm back now and raring to go. Last time, I told you about the beginning of the American Campaign of Retribution on the island of Samar, a campaign seeking vengeance on the Filipino insurrectos and control over the inhabitants after the events at Balangiga in September 1901. I told you how Major Waller of the United States Marine Corps was given the job of hunting down the insurrecto commander on Samar, General Lukban. Major Waller's preliminary efforts on the southern end of Samar were identical to those of American commanders on other parts of the island. They were, as General Smith had ordered, to turn this beautiful island into a howling wilderness, to render most of it an uninhabited wasteland killing many and disrupting the lives of most of the rest by turning them into refugees. These near-genocidal tactics had been perfected in the wars against Native Americans, and while inhumane and, yes, barbaric, they worked. General Lukban was forced to pull up stakes and move his headquarters to a prepared fortress deeper in the jungle, a famous stronghold carved into the cliffs overlooking the Sohoden River. Those Filipinos in the know who would speak to Major Waller told him that the fortress was impregnable. Undeterred and unimpressed with the martial judgment of Filipinos, he decided to test that claim. He divided his battalion of marines into three columns. He would personally lead the central column that would move by boat up the river. Two of his subordinates would lead the other two columns one each along the two riverbanks. The three columns set out in mid-November of 1901. Waller's boats soon ran into an ambush that failed to kill any of his troops, but delayed their progress upriver and threw off the synchronization of the three columns. Ignorant of Waller's delay, the land-based columns continued to approach the fortress, struggling through nearly impassable jungle, but finally arriving without incident. On November 17th, the far shoreline column came to the approaches of the fortress and saw a series of enemy outposts that seemed to be abandoned. A closer look revealed that the abandonment was extremely recent. For example, there were a number of bamboo cannons at these prepared positions. That's right, bamboo cannons were a thing in this war. One of the guns sported a still-burning fuse. A Marine ran forward and yanked the fuse free. Upon further investigation, the defenders of this outpost were nowhere to be found. In any case, the Marines had already planned to wait and link up all three columns, but it appeared that the element of surprise was on their side. They pressed forward and drove insurrectos away from all the support positions across from the cliff. They quickly crossed the river where they joined the other shoreline column at the base of the fortified cliffs. A complex, myriad structure of openings, ledges with rope handrails, ladders, and booby traps decorated the 200-foot rock face. Gunnery Sergeant John H. Quick, who had won the Medal of Honor for his gallantry in combat in Cuba during the recent Spanish-American War, soon set up a Colt machine gun and began spraying the cliff face with covering fire. Major Waller's boat column had yet to arrive, and the Marines could see that that was a good thing because there were a lot of bechuco hanging above the water. These were bamboo cages containing tons of rocks and boulders positioned to be dropped on boats in the river below. Sergeant Quick's suppressing fire, however, forced any insurrectos away from the release mechanisms of these vertical missiles. The Marines quickly scaled the cliffs, pistols and rifles at the ready. Sergeant Quick's automatic weapon fire had done the trick, and the defenders had little resistance left to offer. The Marines neutralized the impregnable fortress in minutes. Thirty insurrectos were killed. The Americans all survived. Major Waller's detachment finally arrived after the party was over. The insurrecto ambush they had fought off early in the mission, which must have fiercely irritated Major Waller because of the delay it caused, almost surely and unintentionally saved lots of Marines. If Waller's detachment had arrived first, which could easily have been the case, their boats would have been vulnerable to tons of rock dropping on them from the behukas. Waller was informed that while a great victory had been won, General Lukban was not among the prisoners. While this fact galled Major Waller, he decided that it wasn't wise to pursue those insurrectos who had fled into the forest. His men were running out of food, Many of them had destroyed their boots from marching on the volcanic rocks and soil, and were now barefoot. The pursuit of General Lukban would have to wait for another day. Waller's next mission came from an idea he had for the furtherance of the campaign. He decided that things would go better in the Samar campaign if they had a string of outposts built from east to west across the southern section of the island. The first stage of this would be to build a telegraph line. While this might sound relatively easy and innocent, we're talking about some of the most rugged territory on the planet. Major Waller proposed his idea to General Smith, who was receptive. He first tasked Major Waller with exploring a possible route for this telegraph line, which the Major, along with 50 Marines and some Filipino guides and bearers, set out to do in early December. It's an understatement to say that things didn't go so well. As a matter of fact, it was an infamous and epic failure. There is an entire Wikipedia page about this undertaking entitled, March Across Samar. The expedition started easily enough, traveling by river in boats. But fierce rapids soon forced the men to the shore, and then the real torment began. They had to travel overland and due to the way the river looped and crossed back and forth over their path again and again, they were constantly wet from having waded or swam the treacherous waters. This slowed the rate of travel so significantly that Major Waller realized that at this rate they wouldn't have enough food to make it to the other side of the island. Two days into the mission, he cut rations. Four days later, many of the men were seriously sick. They had lost the trail ruined their boots, and were all starving. In desperation, Major Waller decided to take the 14 men in the best condition and push ahead, leaving the rest behind to slow down, stay on his trail, and survive until a relief column returned for them. Waller and his group eventually stumbled on a hut, which they immediately attacked. Remember, technically there were not supposed to be any Filipino non-combatants left in the interior although there were actually still quite a few. So, by American martial law, if anyone was in the hut, it had to be enemies. They captured five terrified Filipinos, two of whom said they knew the way to the East Coast. Waller and his men followed them to food and safety. He quickly organized a relief force and led it back into the jungle to find his stragglers. But they were nowhere to be found. After nine days of searching, and once again nearly losing everyone to starvation and sickness, the relief column returned in failure to the east coast of Samar. While this was happening, Captain Porter, the officer in charge of those left behind in the jungle, decided to do what Waller had done in reverse, taking the healthiest Marines along with him and leaving the rest behind as they tried to march back along the path they had taken to get there in the first place. Porter and his group made it to the west coast of the island, where they immediately began organizing a rescue expedition for those left behind. But unfortunately, weather delayed their departure. The weakest Marines and Filipinos who had been left behind in the jungle were led by one Lieutenant Williams. Williams finally decided to take all the men he had and try to find their way out of the jungle. Already starving and weak, One of them went mad and fled into the jungle. More than a few of them simply lay down and died in the foliage along the trail. Lieutenant Williams and his men never got along well with the Filipino guides and bearers. They soon began to suspect that the Filipinos were finding food in the jungle and hiding it from them. Heated words turned into actions, and some of the Filipinos even attacked Lieutenant Williams with their bolos but did little real harm. When those still alive made it back to civilization, the 11 Filipino porters and guides were placed under arrest. When Major Waller arrived and conferred with Lieutenant Williams, he conducted a quick investigation and announced that the 11 Filipino prisoners were to be summarily executed without trial. One of them tried to get away and fled into a river where he was shot down. The others were shot in the town square of Lenang, their bodies left where they lay as a warning to the rest of the populace. In the meantime, the rest of General Smith's combined brigade was following his orders to turn the island of Samar into a howling wilderness. All civilians had been ordered to move to coastal towns, to desert the interior. The result of this order was that any Filipinos seen in the interior were considered fair game, to shoot on sight. By the time the campaign was finished, at least 15,000 Filipinos had been killed as a result of American military action. Many more tens of thousands were rendered homeless, refugees. And of course, the sad truth is that, as had happened so many times before in the wars against Native Americans, these inhumane and brutal tactics succeeded. Resistance on the island of Samar quickly shrank to a few bands of stragglers hiding in the forest. General Lukban was finally captured, along with a small band of followers, a couple of months after Waller's march across Samar. Ironically, Lukban was captured by an American officer, leading a unit comprised mostly of Filipino scouts. Four days later, American forces captured an American a deserter named William C. Denton. Ironically, Denton had been a member of the ill-fated company C. at Balangiga. But a few days before the event that would come to be called the Balangiga Massacre, he had deserted and joined the insurrectos to fight against his former comrades. In his pocket was a commission from General Lukban, promoting him to the rank of second lieutenant. Lukban had described him as, quote, a noble son of Washington, who had joined the Filipino cause as a lover of liberty, unquote. His American captors, after a great deal of cajoling and negotiation, convinced General lukban to write letters pleading with those of his troops that were still holding out in the jungle to surrender to the Americans. Copies of these letters were carried and distributed by all American units still operating in the field. Lukban's former second-in-command, Colonel Claro Guevara, assumed the rank of general and marshaled what meager forces he had left in order to continue the resistance. He had seen Luqban's letters, and he ordered his followers to ignore them. Over time, the Americans began to send representatives to General Guevara to negotiate for peace. A few months after Lukban's capture, he surrendered, along with about 750 men. The man to whom he surrendered was the commander of the 6th U.S. Infantry Brigade, Brigadier General Frederick Dent Grant, the oldest son of Ulysses S. Grant, former president, former general, and the man to whom Robert E. Lee surrendered at Appomattox Courthouse in Virginia, a mere 37 years before this. Guevara's surrender effectively put an end to the war on the island of Samar. But the story is not over for General Jacob Hurd Smith and Major Littleton Waller. I think we can all agree that General Smith does not come out of a story looking like anything but a poor excuse for a human being. Major Waller, on the other hand, is more complicated. His behavior in the course of the story I'm telling varies wildly on a spectrum that extends from laudable humanity when bravely rescuing Spanish sailors after an American naval victory, in other words, interacting with what he perceived as other brave white people, to the other extreme when prosecuting General Smith's personal war on the inhabitants of the island of Samar, in other words, interacting with what he perceived as savage, warlike, barbaric brown people. In any case, the events of the march across Samar were reported up the chain of command, resulting in a lot of officers trying to cover their asses and point fingers. Now, if it sounds to you, dear listener, that I take the behavior of Smith, Waller, and a plethora of other American military and civilian wielders of power that form part of the backdrop of my story, that I take their behavior personally, you, dear listener, are a highly perceptive human animal as are both of my regular listeners. So, next time, I'll tell you about the finger-pointing, the public outcry, and I'll fill you in on why I take the events of the Samar campaign so personally. Anyway, that's what I think. But I could be wrong. Let me know what you think, and check out old episodes of the Martial Brain podcast at my website, rpmartialarts.com. I'm Jeff Westfall for The Martial Brain. The Martial Brain is produced by Raging Squirrel Productions in association with the Rising Phoenix Martial Arts Academy. If you like the podcast and would like to help it grow, go to iTunes or Stitcher and give it an honest rating and review. Contact me with questions about The Martial Brain or about the Rising Phoenix Academy at my website, rpmartialarts.com.